0: And a special thank you to Marco for your hospitality here on behalf of the centre. It's great to see so many of you here. I say see, but I was talking to um, Julie and Danella. I'm at this point where if I put my glasses on, I can read my paper, but you all look blurry. So I can see my words. I can't actually see you. So so please excuse me if you're gesturing at me and I can't see what's going on. So. It it really is a a privilege to to be here and Marco I'm going to make sure I get into the right mode. Thank you very much. Thank you. Didn't need your help. (laughs) So, a, a little bit more about me, I don't know about you but sometimes in my life I find myself in a position where I say, how on earth did I get here? And certainly when I responded to the invitation to speak to this group, to you on this subject, I thought why me how how is it that I'm here I've done a little bit of theology but I'm certainly not a, the- a theologian and you know I've read the papers but I'm certainly not an expert I'm not even a member of the Plenary Council so so what is it and I spent a bit of time just thinking about that and I thought Do you know what I think it's the wrong question I think the question is what can I offer to you today so um, what I'll be bringing to you is I guess a convergence of a a few different pathways over my own journey so I did start out in in a business role got an accounting degree and and set on that course and then I spent a significant part of my life working in pastoral ministry in lay ministry thinking that that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life and then a few things happened mainly four kids and no money to sustain that kind of life and um, actually Uh, Someone in the room here today has been really instrumental in me getting another role which was in human resources at Fiona Stanley Hospital. So all of these um, paths have led to the work that I've been doing over the last six years, which is in mission integration. And so I look to another uh, person in the group here today who our paths crossed through that journey and really what i offer you today is my experience across all of those um, walks of life plus the kids and the faith and the husband and all of that uh, and offer you a reflection offer you my reflection on the thematic paper of being a joyful hope-filled and servant community Um, and i hope that there are a few uh, points along the way that you might resonate with and and hopefully fuel your journey into the future so about today what are we going to do the session was promoted as a twilight retreat we haven't quite achieved twilight it's two o'clock in the afternoon but that's okay but i have certainly taken on this notion of retreat so we will have a few times throughout our session today for you to reflect for you to discuss um, and I do hope and invite you to enter into those um, experiences together. So, when I looked first at the paper of, um, the thematic paper on joyful, hope and servant community, my first response was, this is big. And then I looked at it in the context of all the other thematic papers that have been written and all of the other conversations that have been happening and, and the, the process of the Plenary Council itself. And I, I, to be honest, I was a little bit overwhelmed. It's a, it's a huge undertaking. And actually there's a lot that this is calling us to. So what I've done today is I've distilled it into three uh, sections. I've called it a posture to adopt, a vision to embrace and a dare to be taken on. So I'll explain what all of those things mean as we go through. Again, this is my reflection. This is what struck me as I've been reading uh, the Plenary Council papers. So I've drawn on specifically the thematic paper of um, this particular theme, the instrumental um, laboris and, of course, our scriptures. And there are a few other resources that I have drawn heavily from. I've just put those on the screen there in case they become a useful reference to you later on. But what will complete the conversation today is you so again I do invite you to bring yourself to bring your thoughts to bring your experience to this uh, time together and the reason that I think that is important is because of the scripture that we all know in Corinthians about a one body many hearts. now I've, I've been fortunate to be raised Catholic and have gone to mass and and lived um, you know as a Catholic all of my life and I would have heard this scripture I don't know how many times in my life but it wasn't until I was in my 20s where I did a bit of study on um, the spiritual gifts where where this particular understanding of church being one body with many parts that it, it really struck me and i just became completely um, enamored motivated challenged by the vision of a church and a world in fact where every person, every gift was valued, where in fact, those with less dignity were treated with most dignity, perceived less dignity. And and really, this has become a foundational scripture for me. In whatever role that I've been in, I I always hold this vision of how can we create an organisation where everyone's gifts are valued, where everyone knows that their contribution is important, and where everyone is valued um, for what they bring and who they are. So, again, um, it's important, and this theme again has been picked up in the thematic paper where it says that really, if we're looking at being a church that is joyful, hope filled, I'm going to keep getting that messed up joyful, hope filled, and servant community. Really, first and foremost, it's going to start with us, it's going to start with individuals who are joyful, hope filled, and servants. So, I'm going to invite you into our first activity now. I'd like you to get your phones out. Your mobile phones. If if you don't have one, that's okay, that you'll still be able to participate in this activity. So, get your phones out. Normally we tell you to put your phones away in a session, I'm asking you to bring them out. I'd like you to go to the photos section of your phone. And for those of you without phones, I'll explain how you can participate in this activity in a minute. And I'd like you to find a photo on your phone that brings you joy. For those of you who don't have phones, just think about something that you can describe that brings you joy. Just give me a bit of an indication when when you've got one. Great, thank you. Some of you got lots of photos, people are just scrolling through. (laughs) My mind. thank <laughs> you excellent beautiful okay i'd like you to please stand up and go and find someone across the room who you will share that photo with just one person so can you please stand up go and find someone that you're going to share that photo with and i'll then explain the activity from there Okay, so before, before you explain anything, before you do anything, make sure you've got a partner. Everyone got a partner? Beautiful? Okay, so here's what you need to do. On the screen is the activity. I'm going to use my photo as an example. So, the first thing I'm going to invite you to do is just briefly describe the photo. Don't go into too much detail. So, for example, this is my photo. And I would say, this is my renovated kitchen, okay? That's all I'm gonna say about it, all right? So, show the, your partner your photo, and for those of you who are <laughs> in your mind, just explain what your photo, or what, what it is that brings you joy. Okay, so here what, here's the next part of the activity. Okay, so now that you've said, here's what my, what my photo is, I want you to go a little bit deeper please and I'd like you to explain why this brings you joy. So, for example, my renovated kitchen. I, I must say this is a year ago and we've got this, this new feature to our kitchen. I don't know if you've got it in yours, but it's around the sink, it's like a pile of dishes. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know where it comes from because no one in my house puts them there. But anyway, so, so this is my kitchen. Why this brings me joy, I actually don't like cooking. Okay. So this doesn't bring me any joy in that sense of cooking. It brings me joy because there is a place for everything and it's neat, okay? So I want you to share your photo and just simply why does that bring you joy? Okay, make sure the other person gets a chance to share. Have you done that? Beautiful, okay, excellent. The last question that you'll have with your partner is why is that important? So for me as an example, why is it important that in my kitchen, everything has its place? For me, it's actually having space, having reflective space, space prayerful space in my life is, is critical. I'm an introvert at heart. Getting up and speaking to you is not my natural <laughs> uh, you know, inclination. But for me, this kitchen represents what I want my interior life to be have enough space for it to be filled with the good things and not cluttered so that I can actually be a better person in the world. So that's why this brings me joy. So I invite you into the conversation. Why uh, why is this important to you? Thank you very much for for participating in that activity. Um, it, It becomes the foundation for our first point, which is a posture. So I've called this a posture, Uh, To adopt. So, the definition of a posture is a particular approach or attitude. Now, as you would expect uh, throughout the thematic paper of the Plenary Council, um, there is a lot of mention of joy. You would expect that, it's part of the title. However, what I found quite challenging were the initial comments that were made about joy, and, and I wonder how you would respond to these. It says, For many, the church is not seen as a joyful, hope-filled and servant community that engages positively with the world we don't always rejoice in the positive aspects of the broader australian society and often our positive contributions are not well communicated and it it it, uh, quotes uh, the pope when he talks sometimes it seems that christians can live lives like lent without easter and it was challenging i found these statements quite confronting And the reason I found them confronting in the first instance is that I know that's me sometimes. I know that I can be all Lent and no Easter. And that's not a very attractive kind of way to be. But I I started thinking further about this and it it, it just maybe bring to mind so many situations where I've been um, come up against, I guess, uh, people's perceptions of the church that are often well-founded and sometimes misunderstood. I'll share a very simple example. Uh, once I was running a formation day, it was, uh, days it was over two days, and it, it was a great session. We had a really good two days together with a group of people. And at the end, we were dismissing everybody. They were free to go. And a gentleman stood up and he, and he addressed the crowd. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, that's my role. What's going to happen here? Got up and he said, I just want to say, I did not want to come here. I'm thinking, okay, what's going to come next? And he said, I thought this was all going to be Jesus shepherd and sheep and I just <laughs> kind of and I thought okay what's going to come next and he said but this has been fantastic and he went on to share about what he got out of the session and I remember having a few different thoughts in my mind I remember thinking part of me was a little bit offended like there's actually a good message in the parable of the good shepherd like it's Jesus shepherd and sheep that's a, that's a good story right mm-hmm. and then the other part of me started thinking I wonder what was driving that comment maybe he was expecting to come to something where he would be told what to do rather than invited into an offer of of what's possible maybe he thought he would be judged instead of being understood maybe he thought something would be imposed on him or his life would be restricted um, rather than that he would be supported to flourish by coming to this formation session and so herein lies part of the challenge of being a joyful Hopefield and servant community another aspect um, that's called out in the the thematic paper is this statement many people no longer simply accept what the priest or the church tells them they question and they challenge and when their questions and their challenges are not met with dialogue they walk away so if we are not seen always as joyful and positively engaging with the world and if when people we we share our particular values which sometimes can be countercultural and people raise questions about those or present challenges and we don't enter into conversation, then people will walk away. So so where to from here? And this is where the posture comes in. So I would put to you that a posture that we can adopt is a culture of listening and dialogue. I'd like to read to you a couple of excerpts from a, a newsletter that I read recently. It says, we're facing a number of ethical challenges that require our collective attention. Issues where human dignity is often a secondary concern to interests of finance and economics. Consider the ongoing detention of asylum seekers, the marginalization of Aboriginal citizens, inaction on climate change, the euthanasia campaign, wealth inequity, and increasing levels of (coughs) polarization. These challenges require from us more than a point scoring and a name calling. We need to not generate outrage, but further reflection. And in another article from the same newsletter, it said, if we hold strong opinions, which we should, it's easier to respond to people who disagree by repeating our own view more loudly. And it says, a good thinker is not situated opposite an adversary. But alongside an adversary in the face of a reality always greater and more mysterious. So, if we're going to be this joyful, hope filled, and servant community, it's going to require a culture of listening and dialogue. Over the past oh, 10 months or so, in my role um, at St John of God Healthcare, I've been part of our group that has um, prepared our response to voluntary assisted dying. It's a very important topic and I'm not going to go into it here. I think it needs a proper context for, for um, listening and dialogue. But a few, few of my colleagues have been working on, on our response as a Catholic healthcare provider. We we're, were catching up the other day and we were saying, you know, we have to learn how to sit in the, the tension, the awkwardness, the discomfort of holding a particular view and working alongside and caring for people who have a different view. But if we, if we shut down conversation, in that context, it's not getting us anywhere. And that's hard, it's hard to sit in that tension. And I wish I could, I'll, I'm not going to because of confidentiality, but there have been, as you would be aware, the legislation has been in effect just over a month now. Uh, on the news today, the first person has accessed the VAD in, in WA. Um, I wish I could tell you the stories in our own hospitals where patients have raised this matter. And because we know our position, but we have been prepared to enter into conversation, we have been able to provide better care for them. But had we just shut the conversation down, we would have left them, you know, without the commitment to good end of life care that we offer. So, sorry, I'm being a bit um, vague there, but I'm sure you'd appreciate the reason for confidentiality. Pope Francis said, we need to embrace the task of holding disagreement and allowing it to become a link in a new process. And indeed, this is what we have modeled for us um, in the road to Emmaus, the story of Jesus who, who joins the, the disciples who are grieving his death and who are confused by the accounts of the women who have gone and found the empty tomb and they're walking along the road to Emmaus. So what do we observe in this story about listening and dialogue? Well, firstly, we, we read in this scripture that Jesus came alongside. So they were walking, he came alongside. He didn't force himself into a conversation. He came alongside. We then read that he inquired, he asked them, what are you talking about? Now We presume he knew what they were talking about. He said, but what do you, you tell me your perspective. And he asked questions, he inquired. And then he noticed, but he noticed what wasn't being said. In the scriptures it talks about their face were downcast. So he noticed the bigger story that was at play. He then listened to their story and tried to understand their perspective. And only then did he share his truth, the truth, of of what had really happened and who um, his uh, understanding or his perspective, as as you might say. And then the, the scriptures talk about Jesus then actually went to continue down the road and the disciples invited him back into the conversation. So that invitation back to continue the dialogue was actually initiated by the disciples. And then we all know that in the story, it wasn't until Jesus broke bread that the disciples eyes were opened to who he was. So the revelation actually didn't happen in words, it happened in action. And after that encounter, we hear that the disciples themselves went out and told others. So they became the ones who shared the good news. So in this story, we see a bit of a model Um, of of what culture a culture of listening and dialogue can be so the first point posture a culture of listening and dialogue so then vision a definition of vision is the ability to think about or to plan a future with imagination or wisdom so again out of the um, the instrumentum laborious, we read this. We read that the goal of the church's service is to society, is to making a difference in the world. So as much as the goal of church is to sustain its members, it's also about looking out, looking out into the world, to bringing life to the world. Francis, in uh, his book, Let Us Dream, he talks about um, the COVID crisis. I'm not sure if anyone's read the book, a fantastic read. And he says you know for a long time we thought that we could be healthy in a world that was sick but the COVID crisis has brought home how important it is for us to work for a healthy world so in other words it's not about us just getting ourselves right we we actually can't be completely flourishing if our world is not flourishing so what i'd like to share with you now is a video it's a story i think that really does depict a a a church, a ministry that is a vision of a joy-filled, hope-filled and servant community. It's from my context um, in healthcare. To give you a bit of a background to this, uh, this video that you're about to watch, exactly a year ago yesterday, one of our hospitals in Melbourne uh, is called Berwick, received a phone call that there were um, patients, uh, sorry, clients, residents in an aged care facility where COVID had broken out and they needed to be taken from that facility and moved into one of our hospitals. Um, I'd like you to watch this video and after the video, we're going to have some time for discussion. So just be looking out for signs of joy, hope, and service in this video. So note the sound goes up and down.
1: a
2: call
0: probably about
2: 11 o'clock that morning and it was from the head of the private hospitals unit in the Department of Health and Human
0: Services and she explained to me that she was on site at
2: an aged care facility and there was a situation where they had to evacuate residents from that facility immediately.
0: I was asked if I could take 30 of those residents. And when I said to her, okay, give me two hours, she said, you've got 45 minutes.
2: And I remember there being probably a long five second pause. And she said, it's just not negotiable, Lisa, Ambulance Victoria on site. There's a really urgent need. So we did what we did. You know, just, just catching wind in the corridors of, of we've been asked to do this and we need to respond and not really even knowing exactly what we were being asked. Um, I think by the time I heard what was happening, I think Lisa and Alison had come down and said you know, there's residents arriving very shortly, we have to move move people out of Four East and down into other areas. And everyone just sort of stopped and went, okay, wh- what do you want me to do? And I was in the gym and I looked out the door and I could see Lisa Norman, the CEO, walking past in scrubs, pushing a trolley, and I was like, oh, something's happening, something's going down that's not normal. And then within the hour, patients started arriving. So we had to clear out that whole, um, clear out the whole ward um, and prepare it for these coronavirus patients within an hour. There
3: was a lot of phone conversations early on with with family, so I got to know um, a lot of daughters and wives and husbands and things like that. especially in the first probably four to five days, it was a high volume of phone traffic and and trying to find out and suss out what was going on.
2: I had a chat to my husband. So I've got a husband and a nearly seven year old. That stage because we were hearing so many things about healthcare workers catching COVID and everything. Uh, He didn't feel
0: comfortable with me being around my family, but also completely supported my decision to be a part of the ward. Um, It was never a question about me working on COVID, it was just a question of logistics of where I was going to be. And then
2: was lucky enough to be placed in a hotel by the hospital, so I spent the next three weeks there while I did my job here, so yeah, it
1: was hard. We're also in that time where you couldn't travel more than five kilometres. So, um, so what that meant was that we had a number of families whose immediate family members were not even in Melbourne or some that were not in the Berwick area. We would talk to beforehand and explain to them that um, the visit would only be for 20 minutes and that we couldn't allow any physical contact. So that was really, really difficult and very confronting. It, it got down to the reality of even needing to say to them, would you want like me to knock on the door when we're down to the, you know, when it's about five minutes or so just to let you know. And having that experience of um, knowing that a family member was in the room, saying goodbye on behalf of their whole family um, and staying outside the room in case they needed any support, but then needing to make that knock on the door to say to them, you know, it's time. Um, and then, and then to,
2: support them, you know, after that visit. And then when he actually did pass, I was in the room with him, sort of holding his hand and brushing his hair and that sort of thing and um, trying, trying your best to make what is an awful situation more comfortable and more human. And you're, you know, you're in all your gear and, and you're in a mask and a shield and all of this PPE that you look like a robot or somebody and you're just trying to find like a human part to this whole sort of inhuman experience, because you're yeah, just that, that one layer away from them. And you know, that kind of situation is sitting there going, it shouldn't be me. You know, I'm, I'm honoured and I'm grateful that I can be here for this um, this part of his life and, and moving on from life. But also you wish that their family could be there to experience that. And I think that was the overall feeling for a lot of people on the ward, that as awful as the virus is, like that's the real, crux of it is, whatever's going on in the world, there's people in hospital dying without their families. And and that was um, a really driving force in just hoping that everybody out in the public was playing their role because you think, whatever you think of this virus, whatever your opinion is, that's the reality of it.
4: And then phoning the loved ones to tell them that their family member had passed away, that's never easy. But being able to tell them that we were able to have somebody with them holding their hand while they took their last breath, gave the family members a lot of comfort. And although it's hard for us, it's also um, somebody, one of the staff members who sat with a, a resident while they passed away had said that, although it was hard at the time, when she went home, she felt very blessed to be a part of that person's journey. <laughs>
2: Sorry. I remember one lady who came in and, um you know, she spent about half an hour with her husband and, and I knocked on the door the second time and said, you know, it's, it's time to go. And she said, she said, can I give him a kiss? And I said, you really, you can't, because he was COVID positive. I said, you just can't. And so she just sort of leaned over, she blew him a kiss and and, um, and she, she walked away. And she was just, it was just heartbreaking. Wait, um, there
4: was no rooms. So all empty, all the um, furniture was stacked down in the theatre, so we cleaned
0: all that up, Um, we did painting, um, all sorts of cleaning, so we um, sanded down walls and painted skirting boards, walls, and then prepared everything, Um, then cleaned rooms again, and then brought all the furniture and stuff back in.
2: to be a
4: small part of the history of St John and God is quite special. Yeah. It was an experience that I'll never forget. Um, the teamwork, the camaraderie, the support from each other, from Executive was fantastic. And I think to be a part of something that, that will go down in history means a lot. You know, as much as it was tragic and hard and emotional and tiring, I think we got a lot out of it too.
1: Um, I have.
4: See, and that's probably the bit that challenges you the
1: most. I feel incredibly proud of the team.
0: That's probably the bit that leaves me feeling
2: um, the most emotion because I know we've employed amazing people but they have proven to me they are beyond amazing.
0: I get touched every time I say that maybe that um I just to give you some more context that beautiful Amy wasn't she just gorgeous she's one of our cleaners when she was talking about they, they recommissioned a hospital you know those renovation shows where everything is fallen apart this is a hospital that was decommissioned it, it's going to be renovated for another purpose it was out of action and within you know a couple of days they made it into a, a hospital again, you know, cleaning and whatever else. I spoke to, I actually spoke to Rhonda, who's the Director of Mission this morning. We're in a meeting this morning and I said, I'm gonna use that video. And she said yesterday was the anniversary, as you know, of one year since all of this happened. And she said, we, um, some of our caregivers got some donations together and we went and visited the aged care facility where these re- res- residents were from yesterday. And we said, we just wanted to let you know that we remember you. And they had a beautiful time together. So I offer you this as as an example of church, as a vision of joy, hope, and service. And I invite you just with a couple of people around you, you can stay where you are, just to have a brief conversation about what struck you about this story and where did you see the reality of suffering becoming joy, hope, and service in this video? So just with a couple of people around you, we'll just go for maybe two minutes, two or three minutes only, thank you. So the reason I share that story with you is to again talk about this, this vision of a joyful, hope-filled and uh, servant community. And, and Francis again talks about if we're going to have a culture of service, then we can't serve unless we let the reality around us speak to us. We have to let the suffering that is in our world touch us. It has to move us. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, what, what's the language around that? And I was thinking, you know, I think it's about not doing service, but being servants, you know? And if we do service, then we can end up focusing on the actions, the list of things that are to do, and, and it can tire us. But if we are servants and we see people uh, around us and are touched by their need, we're, we're motivated and driven, we find an extra, um, Tap well to draw on that will sustain us. I think that's what we saw in this example. Francis again talks about. Um, I love this analogy. Uh, in normal times, whatever normal times are, but in normal times they're like formal situations. I remember my kid saying to me once, "You know, why do you talk differently when we go out, and then you're all grumpy sometimes?" <laughs> Sprung again, right? Lent and no Easter, and <laughs> we go. But, but he said, you know, normal times are like formal situations. You put on the good service act and you go out and you do what you're there to do. Um, but in a crisis, when we let suffering touch us and the reality of our world touch us, we have to choose. We have to choose who we're going to be. And in making that choice, we reveal our heart. So in terms of a vision then, I offer you a thought that... A vision is to be moved by the reality around us. Which leads us on to the final point, which I've called a dare. Interesting use of language, I know. But when I looked at a definition of a dare, it says to have the courage to do or to become something. And again, a point out of the paper. The thematic paper talks very often about the inseparability of, of um, the three dimensions of Christian mission. So, proclaiming the word, celebrating the sacraments, and being of service. So, there's an um, inextricable link between each of those um, elements. And it reminds us that our work of service needs nourishment. And I love this line uh, it says, Lest the church can become, as Pope Francis calls it, a sort of NGO stripped of its luminous mysticism. So we become good people doing good things, but where is that, that mystical element of what God can do in these situations? So it calls for us to be nourished along the way. Now, for those of you Italians in the room, Marco, Mark, I'm looking at you, I'm going to attempt some Italian. So, the, pro- the Pope says that in Italy, there's a common phrase, che me ne frega? Okay. Oh, <laughs> si means yes? Good. Okay. And it, it's so what? What's that got to, to do with me? And he said we have to be...
2: careful. Oh, it's
0: accompanied by this. I, th- I feel myself today the Croatian background, so <laughs> not too far away. Um, so, he says we have to guard against this so whatism. He said, "You know, a healthy dose of so whatism is, you know, maybe okay." But he said, "But this kind of pervading atti- attitude of so what—what's it got to do with me?" Can armour plate our soul? It can make us indifferent. It can um, to to the, the the challenges of the suffering around us. And he talks about some barriers to joy, hope, and service says the first can be narcissism, You know that, that sense of everything has become centred around me and us and it's only good news if it's good news for me personally and if it's bad news, it's because I'm, I'm the chief victim here. He talks about warning against discouragement that can lead to sadness in our spiritual lives, the opposite of joy and eventually discouragement closes us in on ourselves. And it leads us to lament and to complain about what's not going well rather than doing anything about it. And then he also cautions against pessimism. And I love the language he uses here. He says it's like um, shutting the door on on the future and, and the new things that it can hold, a door you refuse to open. And he said, these are the kind of things that we need to guard against that we need to nourish ourselves so it, that we, we don't fall into those ways of being. So what's the antidote to that? Encounter with God. This is a, a quote from the Now On- Nalan Society. It says, radical servanthood is the way to encounter God. Here we're touching th- the profound spiritual t- truth that service is an expression of the search for God and not just the desire to bring about individual social change so the dare is simple it's it's to enter in to be nourished by God through words sacrament and and service in community but I don't know about you but for sometimes it's that um, humility to say actually I've been doing this on my own steam I've been doing this as good acts of service rather than with a servant heart And it's in that humility of being able to come and say, okay, God, here I am again, your humble servant. Equip me, nourish me for this journey that I think we will actually see a joyful, hope-filled and servant community. So where to from here? In the last couple of minutes that we've got together, um, if you don't have a piece of paper and a pen, just please put your hand up and Marco will hand one out to you this is a very simple little reflection that I'm, I'm going to invite you into it's a poem it's a poem that was first shared by someone uh, here Nigel shared this with me many years ago and didn't know that he was going to be here today so in a minute the poem will be read it'll it'll come up on the screen And i invite you just to just to enter into listen to the words let them wash over you and then the poem is repeated all right so there's a little space in between and i'd like you to consider as you listen to this poem what what we've spoken about today thank you mark i appreciate that so the posture of listening and dialogue the the vision of letting the reality of the world touch us and that dare to be nourished and to be humble enough to go before God and say, okay, here I am again, ready to be used. So everyone ready for this? Let's make sure. Okay, thanks Marco.
3: What to remember when waking. In that first, Hardly notice moment in which you wake. Coming back to this life, coming back to this life from the other more secret, movable, and frighteningly honest world where everything began. There is a small opening, a small opening into the day which closes the moment you begin your plans, which closes the moment you begin your plans. What you can plan is too small for you to live. What you can plan is too small for you to live. What you can live wholeheartedly will make plans enough for the vitality hidden in your sleep. To be human is to become visible, while carrying what is hidden as a gift to others. To remember the other world in this world is to live in your true inheritance. Now, looking through the slanting light of the morning window toward the mountain presence of everything that can be, what? urgency calls you to your one love? What shape waits in the seed of you to grow and spread its branches against a future sky? Is it waiting in the fertile sea, in the trees beyond the house, in the life you can imagine for yourself in the open and lovely white page on the waiting desk?
0: So in a moment the poem will repeat and i invite you again just to consider where you can adopt a posture of listening and dialogue where you might be able to expand your vision of service and be touched by the reality of suffering around you and to consider where you might need nourishment where you might lack joy or hope or experience disappointment where could you seek god more
3: What you can plan is too small for you to live. What you can plan is too small for you to live. What you can live wholeheartedly will make plans enough for the vitality hidden in your sleep. To be human is to become visible, while carrying what is hidden as a gift to others. To remember the other world in this world is to live in your true inheritance. Now, Looking through the slanting light of the morning window toward the mountain presence of everything that can be. What urgency calls you to your one love? What shape waits in the seed of you to grow and spread its branches against a future sky? Is it waiting in the fertile sea, in the trees beyond the house, in the life you can imagine for yourself? In the open and lovely white page on the waiting desk.
0: So you have a lovely white page in front of you. I invite you just for a minute to take a moment to consider what we've shared today and maybe just write down one or two things that you take away from today's session. It could just be what struck you, it could be an action or just a thought that you might want to share with someone else after today's session. Just for a minute. Okay I notice some of you are still scribbling, so you can take that home as homework. And I invite you, this is your personal reflection, so I'm not going to invite you to share this here, but maybe over tea and coffee, you might wanna share um, with the people who are gathered here today about what, what has struck you. So I'll just leave you with um, a recap. So we've spoken about a position of, of listening and dialogue. We've spoken about a vision of being moved by the reality around us and a dare to embrace Uh, service as an encounter by god and to be nourished by god in our service one final reflection one final um thing that struck me i guess as i read the the plenary council documents so far is this deep yearning of the people in the church to be for the church to be a sign of god's kingdom in the world and and i can't i'm trying to find more words to express that deep yearning And that is my heart, it's certainly my desire. So as people who I imagine have that same deep yearning, I offer you this final encouragement. God asks everything of us, yet at the same time, he offers us everything. So as we pursue a church that is joyful, hope-filled and servant, let's not forget that it's God at the heart of us and allow him to nourish us on that journey. So with that, I say thank you.